Let's turn in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, we're going to do the whole chapter today of Proverbs chapter 4. While you're turning there, since my dad died in April, my brother and I have come to understand something as we never have before. And that is, we are, we are inheriting some cool stuff. None of it's tremendously valuable or anything like that, but we've, we've inherited some really cool stuff. But there's something that's even more valuable than all of those things that we have inherited, and that is the testimony of our mom and dad's lives and the very good example and the counsel that they gave us uh, all throughout our, our lives. And we've realized that this is our true and priceless inheritance. And one of the lessons that I learned from my dad along the way is how we have to make choices about the voices we listen to in life. The people that my dad grew up with uh, and around, including his parents, were not perfectly wise. And by my dad's own admission, he wasn't perfectly wise either. And if you're a young person uh, here this morning, you have probably already noticed this about your parents, that they are not perfect either. And you've also noticed that the world around you is filled with competing voices, voices that are all trying to get your attention uh, because you live in a culture that is at odds with faith in Jesus Christ. And so you have to decide who to listen to, whether you're young or old, right? And so particularly for you as a young person, your temptation these days is to ignore the older voices, especially the ancient ones. Because the prevailing belief today, uh, among other things, is that our technology somehow makes us fundamentally different from generations past. But in Ecclesiastes, in, a, in another book that Solomon wrote, Solomon wrote Proverbs, he also wrote Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, we learn that there's nothing new under the sun, absolutely nothing new. And what he means by this is that human nature does not change. And neither do the fundamentals of life. There is no expression of evil or good that is brand new. And so it might surprise you as a young person to find out that my dad's basic struggle of life back in the 30s and 40s when he was growing up during the Depression was the same struggle as yours as a young person today with all of our technology. And that struggle is between what's right and wrong, good and evil, righteousness and wickedness. Our struggle is with our sinful nature, no matter what generation we belong to. Now, that doesn't mean there are not differences in our worlds. There are some fundamental differences in the way we do life, as it were, uh, today. And so compared to my dad's childhood during the Great Depression, the difference of your life and his is not technology. The difference uh, is in the fact that you have been raised in a world that soundly rejects absolutes. Yours is a world that is wary of institutions like the church because Christianity, well, it seems so patriarchal and, and overly dogmatic about things. It's way too exclusive and, and way too intolerant of new ideas. And so people today don't tend to believe in absolutes about sin and about God. You and I also live in a world of hybrids. That is, we're very accustomed uh, to mixing things together to make something unique and new. Our smartphones are perfect examples of this. You see, when my dad was young, 
He had to go to the store to use a community telephone because there wasn't one in his house, much less in his pocket. He had to go to town, uh, to the library, to look something up. There was no Google or anything like that. He had to find an encyclopedia somewhere and hope whatever he wanted to find out was in the encyclopedia. He went to a movie theater to watch a movie because that was the only place you could go and watch a movie, the only choice that you had. And then when he was older, he paid bills by putting a physical check in an envelope and mailing it through snail mail or by actually going to the place where he owed the money to pay in person. But you can do all of those things right now, right here as you're sitting here this morning in your pew. But I would ask you not to watch a movie right now because that wouldn't be very polite. I just, I would hope that you would listen to what God has to say to you this morning. This is all wonderful. All of these innovations are are wonderful things in, in many ways. But our problem is when we start to think that we can create a hybrid God too, a hybrid religion, and that's sort of the thing now. That's what people are doing. They're kind of creating their own reality, they think. Uh, where, where you can somehow combine faiths and philosophies with Christianity and you can create your own customized God, your own customized religion, if you're even interested in religion at all. And so people today believe that the sincerity of their belief is far more important than what they actually believe. Now these are voices that are at odds with Christ. There's no question about that. And so for us as followers of Christ, the basic question of life has not changed even from my dad's day. And that question is this. How are you going to live rightly for God in the world you live in, in the context you live in with all of this technology and this this dislike of absolutes and this love of, of creating your own reality? This is the same kind of question that my dad had to answer And you and I have to answer it too. Now, the good news is, is that the answer is in the same place it's always been. In the same place as it was for my dad and for all the generations before him. It is uh, right in the ancient pages of our Bibles. It is in the Word of God as inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is a book that consistently insists on a lot of absolutes, namely that our sin has separated us from God and that, the way, uh, that, that Christ is the only way to restore our fellowship with Him. And the Bible also consistently denies a hybrid God, but instead proclaims a God who has declared Himself, a God who exists as He exists regardless of what we might believe. He is a God who is unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is not subject to our opinions, but he is a God who actually insists that we see and understand him for who he actually and already is. The Bible also consistently observes that there are only two kinds of people in the world. Believers and unbelievers, despite all of the labels that we've come up with in this modern world, there are only two kinds of people, believers and unbelievers. We've seen this in Proverbs so far. Wise people reverently fear God. Foolish people don't. Wise people trust God and foolish people don't. Wise people do what God says. Foolish people don't. Wise people treat others with goodwill and foolish people don't. And then chapter 3 wraps up with verse 35 and it says the wise will inherit honor but fools get disgrace. 
There's a tremendous difference between a believer and an unbeliever, a fool and a wise person. And all of this means that there are, that there are only two spiritual choices, righteousness or wickedness. That's it. Those are the only two choices. And so in spite of the fact that we live in this age of smartphones and technology and all these wonderful things that are changing how our world functions, many in, in very good ways, each of us has still got to answer that time-honored and ancient question of how we're going to live rightly for God in the world we live in. And just like the question, the answer never, ever changes. And that answer is something that we've got to hold on to for dear life because our lives really do depend on it. Proverbs 4, praise be to God, tells us the answer. We live rightly for God in the world we live in by vigilantly guarding our whole being with godly wisdom. And so here in Proverbs 4, in these ancient pages, is the voice of godly experience, of true wisdom. And so unlike my dad, Solomon spoke perfectly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so it's time for us to receive uh, this ancient wisdom that is as relevant today as it ever was. And so, allow me to read for us the whole of chapter 4, because we need to hear this all in one piece. Hear, O sons, a father's instructions. Be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a, gar a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go in it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. 
Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing and the understanding of his word. Well, as we jump into this chapter to understand it, uh, let's take a look at how it's arranged. Verses 1 through 9 show us that if we love wisdom, wisdom will guard us, and wisdom is personified as a woman here. Verses 10 through 19 exhort us to guard wisdom because our lives depend on it. And then verses 20 through 26 warn us to vigilantly guard our whole being to stay on the right path. And each of these three passages begin with a direct plea from Solomon to his son. And if you're a daughter, it's to you as well. And so don't forget that. And so let's take a look first at the fact that if we love wisdom, she will guard us. The first plea of Solomon is directed not just to one son, but to his sons in the plural. He's pleading with them very forcefully to pay attention so that they'll learn wisdom. Be attentive that you may gain insight, he says in verse 1. And he gives them the best reason in the whole world to pay attention. Because I give you good precepts. In other words, what I'm teaching you is good. It's sound doctrine. Solomon is so confident that what he's teaching his sons is right. This is the voice of experience. Solomon knew uh, from very painful experience of his own what happens when people ignore wisdom. He ignored it at times himself. And he watched other people do the same thing. When people turn to evil, they they ignore righteousness. Now, my dad was somebody who spoke with the voice of experience, too, in in many matters. He always told my, my brother and me, for instance, to work really hard, to work hard. You see, he grew up poor, and he had seen with his own eyes what happens when people don't work hard. Their lives become harder and harder. And so my dad's voice was the voice of experience as he taught my brother and me to value hard work. He had learned the value of hard work from working with his dad, and he worked really, really hard. I can tell you stories about that some other time, but he helped cut timber on his dad's sawmill with a cross-cut saw. There were no chainsaws then. And so likewise, Solomon turns to lessons that were taught to him by his own dad, beginning in verse 3 and following. Solomon says, when I was a son with my father, he, he taught me and he said to me and said all of these things that follow in the, in the following verses. You see, Solomon's dad was none other than King David. And so Solomon is quoting his father just as I often quote my dad to my sons and tell stories from my dad's life so that my sons can benefit from his wisdom. The crux of of King David's message to his son Solomon and to us is that godly wisdom is the most valuable thing there is. It's the most valuable commodity we've got. It's the most valuable thing that we can take hold of. And getting it and keeping it is the most important thing that we can do. We really caught wind of of that fact, of of David's heart for Solomon to learn wisdom in the passage that that Elder Peter Ristow read just a little bit ago in 1 Chronicles 28. And as we learned last week, wisdom and godly behavior and devotion to God, these three things, wisdom, godly behavior, and devotion to God, are completely bound up together. Because you see, you cannot be wise without devotion to God. 
You cannot be devoted to God if you don't do what he says. And if you're not going to do what he says, you're neither wise nor devoted. And so this is why King David and Solomon, through his own father's words, declares the vast importance of wisdom and how we've got to guard it and keep it. In verse 4, let your heart hold fast my words. In other words, be devoted to wisdom because you're devoted to God. Keep my commandments and live, he says. Verse 5, get wisdom and don't forget it and don't turn away from it. Verse uh, 6, don't forsake wisdom and wisdom won't forsake you. And here's that personification of wisdom as a woman that we've seen before in Proverbs. Love wisdom and she will guard you. She will protect you. This is the crux of what King David is teaching Solomon. If you're devoted to God, then you'll be devoted to wisdom. And through wisdom, God is going to protect you. You remember how we have learned in previous chapters, Proverbs, how everything that God expects and requires of us, every little thing, no matter how hard it is, all of those things are good for us. And so fearing the Lord and turning from evil is healing to your, fre- to your flesh and refreshment to your bones, as it says in Proverbs 3.8. And so back to verse 8 of chapter 4, we should prize wisdom highly. The personification of, uh, this is the personification of the woman wisdom who exalts you and honors you when you love and prize her in verses 8 and 9. And this is a lot like the wife that Solomon mentions in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. Excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I tell you what, the, the many ways that has been my crown, as she has counseled me, as she's nurtured me and guarded me in my walk with the Lord and her wisdom. I could go on and on and on. This is something of the picture that King David is painting of the woman wisdom. But you see, there's an exchange here, just as there is in a marriage. Just as Leslie is faithful to me, I've got to be faithful to her. So it is with the woman wisdom. You see, if the relationship is, is broken, uh, the, our, our Leslie's and my relationship is broken when I don't love and value her in the way I ought to. And likewise, when we reject Lady Wisdom, we're rejecting the blessing of knowing the Lady Wisdom. But you see, if we love Wisdom, Wisdom will, in essence, love us back and guard us. Wisdom will be healing and refreshment to us. And that refreshment comes when we fear the Lord, when we submit our lives to God, when we trust God, even with all of those absolutes and expectations and dogmatic things that he requires of us. You see, wisdom guards us and keeps us safe with God. And that is the ultimate safety that we could ever experience. And so how do you live rightly for God in the world you live in? Well, you first do it by loving God's wisdom. And when you do love wisdom, the lady wisdom will guard you. The lady wisdom will protect you. Now in the next verses, in verses 10 through 19, the Holy Spirit through Solomon warns us to guard wisdom in return because our lives depend on it. Solomon begins in verses 10 and 11 with another plea, this time uh, to his son, to accept my words that the years of your life may be many. 
Now think about when you were a little kid and your mom and dad taught you not to cross the street until you looked both ways, right? So you wouldn't get run over. And this was a lesson that probably at the time you did not like, you did not appreciate because you wanted to just go where you wanted to go. But mom and dad taught you this wisdom so that the years of your life may be many, right? Well, Solomon's doing the very same thing here. He wants us to learn to live safely by walking in the paths of uprightness in verse 11 because wisdom will keep us from running into obstacles and stumbling all over the place and hurting ourselves or even stepping out into traffic, as it were. Paul puts it like this in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive by, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so how do we remain rooted and built up in Christ and free from the captivity of empty deceit? Well, Solomon tells us how to do that in verse 13. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. You see, uh, just as you were taught, as Paul says, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. She is your life. You see, holding on to wisdom really is a matter of life and death. This is, like, this is like how breathing is important for us to stay alive. That's how important wisdom is for us. Life-giving wisdom is whatever proclaims Christ, whatever teaches Christ, whatever exalts Christ, because Christ is life. And anything that diminishes Christ is not wisdom. Now let's pause here a second and make a distinction in our minds. What's the difference between truth and wisdom? Truth is what the facts are. All right? And so Christ died for us. Christ forgives us of our sins. Christ loves us. And Christ uh, uh, abides in us. And we are saved by faith alone and Christ alone. All of those, those biblical truths are what is true. Wisdom is knowing what to do with that truth. In other words, devote your life to Christ because he died for you, because uh, he rose from the dead, because he forgives you of your sins. And so wisdom, wisdom is about how we respond to life in a Christ-like way, in a way that shows other people, that demonstrates to other people who Christ is. It's a way that we mirror the character and nature of our Lord. That's what wisdom is. And this is what uh, John is talking about in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. And this is all about how we can distinguish between what is wise and what is foolish. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that, Christ, uh, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And then in verse 6, he says, whoever knows, God's, whoever knows God listens to us. Who is us? us as the apostles. We know what the apostles have said because we have the New Testament, we have the Gospels, and we have all of the, the letters and, and so on. And so whoever knows God listens to the apostles. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. 
By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. By this we know what wisdom is and we know what foolishness is, you see. We know the difference between wisdom and foolishness uh, in, in those voices that we hear in whether they confess Christ. Now, confessing Christ can mean overt evangelism where you stand on the street corner and tell people about the love of our Lord. But it can also be in the very small details of life. It can also be uh, a confession of Christ when a voice of someone who is wise urges you to be honest rather than deceptive. A voice that encourages you to treat another person with kindness rather than harshness. And why? Because that's Christ-like. That's in keeping with who Christ is. This is wisdom. Anything that is Christ-like is wise. But what in the world are we guarding ourselves from with wisdom? Well, let's take a look at verse 13 again. Wisdom, it, verse 13 says, wisdom is your life. This is a matter of life and death. This is the clear implication. Jesus warns us in John 3:36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, in the Bible, belief is never only about intellectual agreement. You can say that you believe in God. You can say that you believe in Christ, even, but not follow him. But if you believe what Jesus just said in John 3.36, then you're also going to be following him because you understand the reality of what he's talking about. And following Christ in the Bible always means to do what he says, to obey God in even the smallest details of our lives. And so from Solomon's perspective, that means walking the path of righteousness. And so he goes on in verse 14 and, and following in our passage, he goes on to warn us not even to enter, not even to put a toe in the path of the wicked much less make walking that path our habit. Do not partake of it at all. Turn away from it and, and pass on, verse, 13, verse 15 warns us. Don't even dabble with evil. Verses 16 and 17 describe the mindset of the wicked. Evil is their preoccupation. How in the world could evil ever be the preoccupation of a believer? You see, that it's just completely incompatible. So by contrast, verse 18 shows us the true beauty of the way of the righteous. It's like the light of dawn. It's like the most beautiful morning you've ever seen. It's the, like, like the light of dawn, just as we know that Christ is the light of the world. Jesus said uh, in John 12, 35 about himself, he says, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The stakes are high, and the path of the wicked, in verse 19, is total darkness. A darkness that is so thick and evil that those who choose it, they don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know where they're walking. They're, they're so blind that they, they cannot even see the truth about their terrible and horrible and dangerous situation. It's like they're walking in complete darkness, unaware that they're on the very edge of a cliff. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world 
has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep to, uh, the, the unbelievers, that is, uh, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They can't see Christ. What a desolate, desolate place to be in that kind of darkness. Then Paul declares in Romans 1 that for those who obey righteousness instead of the truth, for them there will be wrath and fury from God, and rightly so. The stakes are very high. This is a matter of life and death, this guarding of wisdom. Guard wisdom because your life depends on it. And so how do you live rightly for God in the world you live in, in your context? Will you do it by guarding wisdom since your life depends on it? Hold fast, not to the philosophies of this world that are so full of deceit and not the truth, not of Christ, but hold fast instead to Christ along with all of his expectations, along with all of his absolutes and all of his dogma because after all, all of that is very, very good for you. And so if we guard wisdom, she will guard us. Guard wisdom because your life depends on it. Finally, in verses 20 through 27, vigilantly guard your whole being to stay on the right path. In verses 20 and 20 through 22, we see another plea for Solomon's son to be attentive to the wisdom of his father and to guard wisdom in the sense of, of not letting it escape, as it were, uh, by keeping wisdom in his heart, by, by holding it dear and embracing it and, and holding on tightly, since wisdom is so valuable to life and well-being. And again, in verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance. You see, the heart of the matter of wisdom is the heart. Wisdom is not this cold, impersonal thing out there that has no real connection to you. It's not this, this, this cold precept to follow just to earn something. We embrace godly wisdom with our whole being. We embrace godly wisdom because we are totally devoted to God, absolutely, 100% in it for God. And because we are, everything that we do we do because we love him. We, we, we want to obey him in every way that we can because we are devoted to him with our whole being. So it's something like this. Again, when you were a little kid, you were taught by your parents to say please and thank you, even if you didn't feel polite or grateful. Your parents actually forced you to do it, Right? And those of us who are parents understand that, uh, that desire to do that because we know it's good for our children. But then somewhere along the way, it's different for every person, but somewhere along the way, something wonderful happens, for most of us anyway. Our hearts change about the whole thing. And all of a sudden, we start to say please and thank you because we really do want to be polite for the sake of the other person. We're, we're thinking outside of ourselves. And, and we, we say thank you because we really are thankful when somebody does something for us. In other words, now we desire politeness. Now we desire to express gratitude to other people. It is our wish. All of a sudden, we want the same thing our parents wanted. Isn't that something? Well, this is the way it works with wisdom, too. 
before we were wise. That is, before we knew the Lord, we didn't want what God wants. We really couldn't have cared less about absolute truth, how we treat others, or, or whether we're creating our own sort of false reality. We couldn't have cared less. All we cared about is what was in it for us. But then we learn a reverent fear of the Lord through Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, we begin to desire his wisdom with our whole being. We truly want what God wants. And this is, this is exactly, by the way, uh, what Paul is talking about in Ephesians when he talks about growing to full maturity in Christ. This is a process. And we learn over time to desire the wisdom of the Lord more and more. And so wisdom involves our whole being. We're not little kids anymore who are being forced into submission. And we see all of this in the language of these verses in Proverbs 4. Because the language is about our bodies, our whole bodies. And the, the symbolism here is about the fact that this involves our whole selves. We see the ear in verse 20. We see the eyes in verses 21 and 25. We see the heart in verses 21 and 23. And the mouth in verse 24. And then we see the feet in verses 26 and 27. You see, what your ears hear and where your eyes are looking and the devotion of your heart, who your heart belongs to is what that means, and the words that you speak and where your feet take you, all of these are matters of wisdom. These are matters of your reverential fear of the Lord or perhaps the absence of your reverential fear of the Lord. All of this involves your whole being. And so as Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the late 1800s, puts it, he said, every part of our nature needs to be carefully watched, lest in any way it should become the cause of sin. And so watch what you say. Watch where you walk. Watch where you look, and so on. In other words, how you live matters to God, and it also matters for your own personal safety. The voices you choose to listen to matter, since some of them are going to lead you to Christ, but others are going to lead you along the path of wickedness, along the path of darkness and sin and desolation and danger. And so in the closing verses of chapter 4, Solomon pleads with you to ponder the path that you're taking. Don't swerve from the way of the righteous, either to the left or to the right. Turn your foot away from evil. And why? Because there is real danger in straying, and there is pure blessing in obeying. Just like when your mom warned you to look both ways when you were crossing the street. That's why we need to be vigilant as we guard our whole being. We need to be on guard all the time. We need to carefully watch every part of our sinful nature because we are so prone to sin, because we are so prone to falling, because we are so prone to trading the glory of God for utter darkness. And so we've got to constantly remind ourselves that the fear of the Lord really is the beginning, the foundation of wisdom. And that is the foundation for us for a full and rich life in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the ancient and true wisdom of a father named Solomon for his son. And this is the true wisdom of our heavenly father to us as his children. Love wisdom and she'll guard you. 
Guard wisdom because your life depends on it. Vigilantly guard your whole being to stay on God's path. This is the same ancient answer to the same ancient question that every single generation of mankind has had to answer. How do we live rightly for God in the world we live in? How do we do it? There are so many voices in our world today that compete for our attention, but there is only one voice that speaks the truth, and that voice speaks wisdom, true wisdom. That voice proclaims Jesus Christ, and that voice is calling you to live rightly for God in your world, in your context, within the, the things that you face in our world of hybrid religion and in our world that is so opposed to the absolutes of God, this voice is proclaiming Christ. And this voice is calling you to serve him. This voice is calling you to serve him absolutely, to serve him entirely, to serve him dogmatically with your whole heart, with your whole being. And so, yes, believe sincerely, but remember that what you sincerely believe is tremendously important. What you ought to sincerely believe is all of those absolutes and all of those expectations and all of that dogma about sin, that, that those, those things about God, those doctrines about Christ, and what it means to follow Christ with our whole being. The key to wise living and guarding wisdom and guarding our whole being is Christ himself. It's in who he is and in, in what he has done for each one of us who put our faith in him as spelled out in God's plan of redemption that begins in Genesis 1-1 and is completed when we will all gather around his eternal throne as Revelation prophesies. That's going to happen someday. In the meantime, I think, I think a great way to summarize these great truths of Proverbs chapter 4 is something that we find at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2. The author writes this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what does he mean by this cloud of witnesses? These are the, these are the people that he, he, uh, he uh, mentions in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews. This is the hall of fame of faith. These are people who believed without knowing how God was going to fulfill his promises. These are people who lived before they knew who Christ was. And yet they believed. They put their trust in God. They understood who God was. And so this is the wise testimony of believers who've come before us. And this is also the wise testimony of those of us with some gray hair in the room who have come before you, maybe, if you're a young person, who have walked before you and know what it means to follow Christ. So, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And so let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Don't go down the wicked path. <laughs> Isn't that what that's saying? And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
walk the path of righteousness. No, run the path of righteousness. And do it looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, this is the path of righteousness that Proverbs uh, chapter 4 is proclaiming in verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep your eyes fixed on the Christ who is revealed in God's word. The Christ who is revealed in this ancient text of the Bible because he is life. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so run along the path of his righteousness and guard against sin by devoting your whole being, your whole self, not in part, but every bit of you completely to your Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? There's only one place that you're going to find this Christ. There's only one place where you're going to find the revelation of God's wisdom and truth, and that is in the pages of your Bible. So hold on to the wisdom you find there. Live by it. Devote yourself to it. Cherish it. Adore it. Embrace it with everything you've got because your life depends on it. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, I thank you. I thank you for my tears because they're tears of joy. The joy of knowing you and of knowing what you've saved me from. Father, may we all rejoice in your salvation. May we all rejoice in your wisdom because it is so, so good for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.